Hello, I'm Alex Holsgrove-Jones, Knowledge Partner in the Real Estate Group at TLT, and I'm joined today by Simon Peacock, Head of Regions and Clients at JLL. So Simon, we're going to be talking about ESG in leases. How is ESG influencing investment decisions in the office market? Yeah, well, if I perhaps, if I just get a kind of quick summary of the market generally, I'm sort of, sorry, the investment decisions generally, I suppose, around the space. Mm -hmm. um, it's a it's a key issue clearly for investors, right? They're dealing with changes in regulation, market, stakeholder pressure on them. So they've a lot of them, as we all know, have made ambitious sort of ESG commitments, yeah. and they're kind of really integrating that into uh, their fund and their portfolio strategies, but also their underwriting and their transactional processes. Mm -hmm. So they're having to kind of adapt to the risks and opportunities that sustainability brings. Uh, for example, there it's taking longer on the due diligence, I guess, on buildings, right? There's a, there's a lot more to look through and to check. Yeah. Um, we're seeing kind of heads of ESG now sitting at board level uh, and on, I think, importantly, perhaps even more importantly, on investment committees. So decisions mm -hmm. being made and really scrutinizing the data uh, around those decisions as to what they are um, uh, acquiring. So really mm -hmm. uh, integrating ESG into investment decisions. Um, and then perhaps if I kind of answer your piece around offices specifically, I suppose, I suppose there's, yeah. there's kind of wider factors going on there, I suppose, as well from the occupier side. So obviously we've seen, um, I say obviously, I think you know, this is fairly obvious that the market is starting to focus more on delivering the best in class ESG yeah. space uh, because they want to attract because occupies what need to attract talent. Um, mm -hmm. it's been we've talked about before, but you know, in terms of encouraging the workers back to that office, right? Um, but in the same, yeah. in the same case, uh, subpar space, I suppose it's just it's just not going to work for those occupiers. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I appreciate I'm talking about a certain group, but it's, I would just dispel the myth that it's not just the big occupiers that are looking for this. It is going right down. That's how we're seeing it, and that's in all markets. So I look at. UK regions, and I'll include London that. Um, we're seeing that in London, yes, in droves, but also in some of our core big six markets, as we call it, um, there. So, so in terms of those offices kind of where they've got what I would call traditional investment fundamentals are now having to really bolt in best in class ESG credentials. Um, and by doing that, they're seeing strong kind of price resilience and commanding rental and capital premiums. And I think savvy investors are kind of looking to kind of capitalize on the upside of that as well, which I'll touch on maybe um, a bit later. But uh, occupiers themselves, as I've said, are taking less, uh, sorry, taking less space, but the highest quality that they can get um, in many cases. Yeah. That really means in reality, they're probably spending almost the same amount as they were before, but they're getting better quality space um, and it's allowing rents to go up, which is then allowing investor developers to actually that into the improvements that, that kind of are needed by the market and we could go into a whole yeah. lot of detail about what's going on in the market around that but that's that's a kind of general point and i suppose the other piece i suppose i should cut touch on if we're talking about esg in offices is that you know some cities and office locations are going to compress right and centralize more so um i, I can talk about less space but you know depending on what the market overall market that city is we could see some contraction in some locations and that's and some offices are no longer going to be in those best locations that they were traditionally. So 
you know, they may, may have been secondary, becoming increasingly secondary kind of offices, and they themselves, because of ESG, might need a lot of money spent on them to reposition yeah. them. Um, yeah. And put bluntly, they may no, it may no longer, it may no longer make sense to do that given their location. So I think we'll see, we are seeing and having conversations with our clients around those kind of uh, what we anticipate to be larger price corrections for those properties, um, and obviously that leads to um, opportunities, right, in terms yeah. of other other uses, uh, built to rent, student life sciences, hotel retirement. These are all kind of other ang other angles uh, for those particular types of uh, of office that might need to change. Yeah, so lots of change in the pipeline. Yeah, yes. I mean, it's quite. Yeah. Um, I've been in the industry for twenty five years. And it's quite it's quite interesting for, from an office point of view. It's really big. Um, I'd say it's, it's a big point of biggest kind of change in terms of polarization of the market. Um, mm -hmm. So one end, it's kind of very exciting and kind of really being driven. Um, by higher values and kind of demand around that and ESG at at an the opposite end, there's kind of this, you know, we're in we're in uh, capitalism in terms of creative destruction, right? It's where stuff's kind of changing and we're kind of into um, repurpose. Um, but that's yeah. probably that's speeded up in the last six months and will continue to um, uh, through the course of this year. Hmm. So when looking at uh, an office space, obviously EPCs are a factor that, that can give an indication of how, how efficient a building is. But are you seeing requirements um, pinned to other certifications, so BRIAM, and, and if so, which, which other certifications that are coming out now? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, EPCs are great, right? They're simple, they're common, they're used by... Mm -hmm. For the regulatory point of view, uh, for now, I shall, shall hedge there. Um, I mean, we've got a situation now and we were all office buildings in terms of need to be at least EPCE. Um, they, mm -hmm. you know, investors um, should be planning around that, those being increased to C and then B by 2030. Yeah. But, you know, I, I can't, I can't not say that they are incredibly basic and crude mm. and they don't consider real performance. So there's a real issue yeah. there. So then, um, BRIAM is the obvious next one from a UK perspective, maybe lead in terms of internationally, but BRIAM mm -hmm. um, certainly has got probably the market share of certification in the next step. And they're well established and provide sort of greater detail and breadth than EPCs. Um, and interestingly, we've done some research recently, which I just wanted to share because, we, because, because they've been around a while. Yeah. We can actually go back over the data and really kind of look and see what, what impact is actually happening. Uh, what you know if you if you get a BRIAM certification, what does it mean? Well, we looked at um, this data is from Central London, uh, so we looked at 600 investment deals because you need a certain scale before you can start mm -hmm. drive determining these sort of pieces. But I think it's interesting for the listeners that um, basically, you know, yeah, occupiers will pay more for kind of energy efficient buildings if they anticipate lower running costs. So, so it's it is um, interesting that with every step up. In EPC, we've been seeing a sort of four percent increase, four point two to be precise, increase in rent. Um, and then, if you have Briam in any form, right, just to keep it simple, your rent's nearly twelve percent higher. Um, and then, if we kind of push that into from an investor point of view, they see greater demand for sustainable buildings. They see relative scarcity of those buildings out there. They've got tightening government regulations and they've got increasing evidence that it's if we need anymore of climate change. So um, it means that 
they really do perceive sustainable buildings as lower risk and command higher values. So getting a BRIAM certificate on average, we were seeing sort of 20, just over 20% increase in capital value by doing that. So um, really worthwhile <laughs> doing that from a, from a, uh, a BRIAM point of view, but um, that, um, the, da the danger is I don't think you can just rely on BRIAM going forward. So uh, to, to kind of secure your ESG value, as it were, um, because that certification, EPC and BRIAM and others, have been based on kind of designing for compliance. So yeah. you know, this is theoretical energy performance rather than actually what you're actually doing. So, so instead, we're, kind of, we're going to see certification coming through now linked to actual performance. And that could be quite... Um, challenging for some building right so so i think neighbors uk is probably the, is probably the yeah. one to look out for and that we're seeing that come through the market in various um that for those um if we don't know that's a regulatory scheme that's come across from australia it's not the soap opera uh it is a, <laughs> far more far more interesting of course but well, they've seen massive in, uh, reductions in improvement in energy efficiency, like over 40%, um, lowering emissions, et cetera. And so that's been seen by UK. Um, and investors like LNG, MEPC, Landsec, they're all bringing buildings through on this, and it gives a clearer transparency. Um, uh, and you know, your, grade, your ratings, realistically, it goes all the way up to six, but realistically, it's going to um, really start from four to six. And we're seeing buildings come out in the fives now, which gives a clearer transparent route to kind of net zero. Um, and so that, so uh, I would watch that space, I suppose, if, if you're designing, you've got your designers to kind of, or you've got buildings that have been based on theoretical performance. Our previous research has shown that actually you could have EPCs from A to D, for example, and it will be producing, and it, sometimes contrary, you know, the D is better performing than, than the A. So um, my, my advice would be please don't rely on that. As could some people could get a shock, right, thinking mm. that this, this is going to be okay. Um, but it does lead quite nicely into kind of, you know, if we're measuring in energy and that's, um, it becomes a landlord and occupier uh, issue going forward. Ab absolutely. And, you know, as you've so rightly said, operating a building efficiency is the key to improving environmental performance. So what are you seeing in leases to ensure that a property is used in the most sustainable way possible? Um, so I think it's, it's important to landlords that their tenants are mm. willing to work with them, right, yeah. to achieve the building performance. And so there's, there's a little bit more scrutiny going on there. Um, equally, occupiers are asking the same back um, about yeah. their landlord. Um, so that's where we see green leases obviously capturing some of those key issues um, and mm -hmm. becoming increasingly popular. I think um, uh, I've tried to kind of count, uh, speak to some of my colleagues from the investor side and also agency side. So. I think from an investor point of view, they'd say uh, green leases are being seen by investors as a major benefit. It creates a kind of mechanism for intervention. Um, without them, it's kind of harder to hold the tenant to account. Yeah. Um, they de-risk an investment and help its liquidity to some, some degree. And so um, it's seen as uh, very important from an investor perspective. Um, uh, in fact, many investors are retrospectively integrating them into leases on existing assets um, okay. and, and a, a bit developed a kind of green lease framework in-house themselves. Um, and they see, I suppose, tenants that don't want to play ball as a risk mm. uh, in that kind of collaborative space. And, and that could mean 
to the point of perhaps even exit around that. Um, I guess what what are we actually seeing? I suppose um, without going into a load of detail, and really it's most standard clauses are around data sharing, yeah, and around protecting the various certifications that that building's acquired, particularly EPCs at the moment. But given what I've just said earlier, that's going to become they're going to be far more detailed if you talk about neighbours. I mean, one one thing I'll say one thing which I suppose it's a natural evolution to move from EPCs and BRIAM because they were quite simple, actually, um, and we were trying to get our head around it. But um, when you actually start unpicking it in terms of neighbours, it gets, you know, it's, this is getting down to if you're, you're being judged by the, as an occupier, so how many hours you're operating that building and do I, I want to have that flexibility because that's unfair, right? The fact that I run a call centre till 10 o'clock at night, I'm getting judged differently from somebody else that isn't. Um, so it, it's kind of, it gets more complex. And so you can see how that's going to feed through into the, into the um, into those leases to allow more kind of in, uh, collaboration between both sides. Right. Now, moving away from the environmental side of ESG and looking at social responsibility, what are the key factors being discussed in the office market in in this space? Yeah, this is. Um, I think you've caught this is quite early on, so mm -hmm. we're definitely seeing an increase, but it's still lagging many of the E. Kind of energy yeah. environmental issues um so we see things as kind of paying a living wage as being an obvious right. one yeah that feeds in uh, there's quite a lot around the health and well-being which i'd also put under social in this space um i'm seeing kind of increasing increasing ambition from investors and occupiers on social strategies now what the heck do i mean by that um i suppose what given a really good example and i think market leading perhaps at the moment in the uk is um, 105 Victoria Street, Westminster. So that's a great example. This is where the developers have undertaken some really strong community stakeholder engagement early on. And um, you could argue that's part of the planning process, but they've really, mm -hmm. really got into that. They've fed that into actually how they shape the design of their scheme. Um, and what do I mean by that as well? They've created a multifunctional space for the tenants, the occupiers of that building, but they're also in the basement, but they're also using that with a local school. So they can use that so that local school can get access to that as um, for sort of um, PE, right? Rather than to bus all their kids to, across London. Um, they're also partnering with two local charities. So I think one's called Westminster Wheels, which trains up unemployed people to be bike mechanics. Sounds great. So 70% of those people who went through the scheme are now in employment. And another charity which kind of provides community space um, and care packages for the community. So you can see how that's all getting kind of baked in. Um, and interestingly, those partnerships I just mentioned on that scheme are written into the deed of the building. So they're gonna get, if they sell it, they, those partnerships remain. So this is definitely, I think, a leading example and it's perhaps a, a kind of a shift in focus and an area of growth that I can see coming through. Um, and there's always a bit of nervousness in terms of, I think for, in terms of between what occupiers want not investments and what that might have long-term in terms of value. But again, checking in with the uh, investors, um, they're being really positive about um, buildings with DNI measures, health and wellbeing and community engagement angles. Um, and it follows a trend where investors are having to be more selective perhaps about the tenants they have in their building as well, right? So you know, given the ESG credentials we've talked about, they may have, they may look at some occupiers and see them as slightly negative, I say slightly or yeah. very negative in terms of their social 
perspective as well and they choose to discount the building so um you know tenants such as oil gas gambling tobacco these might not be the ones at the top of the list uh, whereas perhaps if you went back 20 30 years they'd be quite high up there right in terms of covenant yeah um, yes yeah, so yeah. it's interesting it, i mean it's it's that Definitely a shift and an area of focus, isn't it? I mean, I was going to ask you if you thought the lease was the right place for obligations around social responsibility, but I, I suppose it depends on the building in question, the credentials and the aspirations of the investor landlord and whether or not they actually want to limit the identities of those tenants and whether they, you know, the tenants themselves may want to be in a building with like-minded organisations. Yeah. So... It will yeah. it will depend, won't it, on the building? Yeah, and I think and, and depends on the social clause itself, the, the item itself. So I think um, mm. with all clauses, not just kind of social ones, it's about what are you trying to achieve and thinking about the best ways to do it. Of course, um, that's of course how TLT made their money, right? So this is, but you know, in terms of this is this is around lease. Is it in the lease? Is it in the memorandum of understanding? Um, is it a collaboration deed? Um, is there something that can be dealt with within the management agreement? So there's there's lots of mechanisms there, isn't there? Um, yeah. But it's it's important, I suppose, really important that just kind of that shift to tenant landlord or landlord tenant relationship is something much more collaborative and partnership aligned. Really, um, uh, that that's the kind of key takeaway, I think. Yeah, no, I agree. Now, just finally, Simon, I mean, we've talked about obviously this in the context of buildings and, and organisations that probably have very high ESG aspirations. But generally speaking, how often are these kind of issues being discussed at heads of term stage? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you won't be surprised to say not enough, right? <laughs> not enough. So we're seeing we're seeing it change. Um, at the moment, it's still quite where we are seeing uh, elements incorporated into heads of terms. They're quite vague mm. and general. Um, and it's left to lawyers, which isn't really fair. I'll, I'll say, I'm not just saying that because you're on the call. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, and I think that's maybe just a natural evolution in terms of it's, it's, it's that's where it's cropping up at the moment and it needs to come further, comes come earlier in the process. Yeah. So um, it should be in the marketing of the building. Mm. It should be the reasons for each clause and the benefits to land and occupy. It should be clearly articulated articulated it should be the principles have been agreed so they just roll straight into heads of terms um so they aren't contentious i think at the moment perhaps it's it can be a little contentious because it can feel like a surprise uh, to one or one or the other of the parties um, yeah, and i think because it's fairly new as well that um you know if you if if people see that and it and it is a bit vague then it does there is a risk that it will sort of delay the, the documents yes. getting drafted um, people think it's a stumbling block so they just cross it out and you know if, if it was all sorted at an earlier stage as you say then then it, it would become more normal yeah I mean if, if we take that 105 Victoria Street example you know that there I suspect it was taken right back into kind of stakeholder agreements it was taken back mm. into the design brief into the planning application into how the building was delivered and how it's operate, how it's to be operated. So in terms of the physical design, design, the you know, if I'm getting slightly technical about it, the BMS system, how is it going to record the energy, how is it going to do all that? You know, that's yeah. rather than just bolt it on at the back end. But but being sympathetic, it's something new that's coming through. So it's kind of yeah. it's coming down a wave through the process. 
back towards the kind of front end and we just need to kind of get it there moving okay. faster and hopefully things like this will kind of um highlight it right for 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 the industry to kind of think about it yeah more i mean i think the most positive sign is that we've noticed that we're seeing occupiers requesting green lease yeah. terms from landlords um and we've seen that shift in the last year and it's certainly kind of building i, I again I, it would be remiss of me not to say you know at the, at the top end that's where it's happening at the bottom end less so so it's interesting i was chatting to a a a um a blue chip occupier but one that takes secondary space um right. and saying how how um challenging it is when they ask various esg questions around a building moving into from the landlord and how little um information is already available right by that landlord which you know is clearly indicating that they haven't they haven't gone through that process before but i mean again it's part of the kind of shift in process but um i am aware i am constantly challenging myself that you know we you know operate at all ends of the spectrum so it's easy to kind of just kind of talk about the top end but at the bottom end i think it's it's if uh, anecdotally it feels like for me that some of the occupiers that are, that are perhaps better informed and dipping into some of that market are are struggling with with landlords yeah. um, around that space great um that's been really useful simon um thanks so much for your time no no problem it's been good to have a chat about it thanks Bye.